Welcome to Cars on Call. I am gastroenterologist and automotive journalist Steve Schutz. I'm here with trauma surgeon Stefan Moran, automotive collector, historian, and connoisseur Adams Hudson. We've got a lot to cover today. We've got to kind of get through it. But episode 92, we've been going for about a year and a half, having a lot of fun. And uh, again, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about Stefan. You talked about Teslification about a year and a half ago. You created that word. And uh, let me just say for a second, for our listeners, in case you're new, we're the only show that has a trauma surge talking about automotive safety, Stefan Moran. So that's really cool. We're going to talk about testification because you can now buy cars on your uh, Amazon app. And then uh, Collector, Adams is going to talk about a, a huge sale of a Ferrari, big number for a GTR. You're going to talk about that. I want to have a little rant about Stellantis, which I'm pissed off about. Trauma surgeon safety, we're going to get into. And finally, um, we're going to talk about our, we have $100,000 to buy a collector car. We've done it with $35,000. We've done it with $50,000. We did it with $80,000. Now we got $100,000. So we're going to talk about that at the end. But uh, guys, uh, let's get into it. And Stefan, Teslification happens again. Everyone is, everyone listen to you. Hey, survey says, the Cox Automotive Paul, that poll that 81% of customers said online retail services improve the process of purchasing a vehicle. Hello. I can't it's not a hundred percent. I know people hate going to the dealer, man. I always hated dealer. I mean, I dragged Ellen pregnant the last day of the month in January when I purchased my Acura Integra back in 1992, because I knew I could get a better deal. And she was about to faint. She was three months. I mean, she was like third <laughs> trimester. Was, she was still to this day. She's mad at me about that. But hey, I got a great deal in the car. But that's what it takes to get a deal. And, you know, now everybody yelps. And so it was like last day of the year, like this late December, last day of the year type of thing. Yeah, exactly. I wait to the last minute, the last day of the month. They're trying to meet their quota. Well, I mean, it's what you, ha- you know, I, I really because then, you know, it used to be you just dealt with the dealer. And then now you deal with the dealer who then calls in the manager and then they take you to the finance office where they try to shaft you again. And I talked about how I got shafted uh, by the finance office when I bought my Mustang Bullet. They sold me a feature that the car didn't have. And it took me months to get the money back. I was so pissed off. So anyway. I'm Tesla, curious picture you paid for that didn't exist. I know that. Uh, they said it had, it, they said it had one of those GPS um, anti-theft devices on it. The you know, so you could track your car anywhere that it was. It was a subscription service. And they I said, take it off the car. I don't want it. They said, we can't take it off. We have to charge you for it. I got home, the car didn't have it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was so pissed off. Now you can get an Apple locator disc for about fifty dollars. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, this was a Mercedes dealership in Nashville that I bought the car from. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they were this, right. They were right. They couldn't take it off. Because <laughs> it wasn't there. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, people hate going to the dealer. So we talk. I talk. You know, I coined the word Teslification because Elon Musk really, first of all, nobody thought he could create a car company. He did. Nobody thought he could create a car company, and if he did, that it would be successful. He did. Nobody thought that he could change the way that people would buy cars. He did, and nobody thought he would change the way that a car is serviced. He did. So he changed all these things, and I call that the Teslification of the auto industry. And Elon Musk really did it. So as Steve mentioned, Hyundai and Amazon announced on Thursday that U.S. customers can now buy a vehicle online direct to consumer. You whip out your iPhone, and you can now are going to be able to buy a Hyundai just like you could buy a Tesla. Um, and I don't, you know, Tesla has the over-there updates. They've got mobile service appointments. I'm sure that Hyundai will move to that next, but that's part of the testification of the auto industry. And we, the others, free, uh, go ahead, Adams. Are we getting free shipping with that new Hyundai? I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they figure it out. So your choice is to have it delivered to your home or to the dealer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see. Dealer's just going to have to up the game. I mean, this is the way things are moving. You're going to go on and you're going to order your car because, you know, cars are made with robots now. And, you know, you're going to be able to order your car. And, you know, people are going to imagine you get exactly what you want and you're going to wait three months, six months. You're, you know, the you're going to do it. You're going to wait to get exactly what you want. 
You know, Steve, you waited a long time to get your paint to sample Porsche because you wanted the color. And, and then there are times you just go to the lot, you buy what's on the lot because part of that's getting just the deal. But I think everybody now wants the best of the best and they, wa they want what they want. And this is, um, I think, I think it's wonderful. You know, Jim Farley of Ford Chief has called for new regulations. He does not like, he's going up against the NADA, the National Automobile Dealers Association. Yeah, good luck with that. He says that if he could sell vehicles direct to consumers, bypassing the dealers on the sale of the vehicle, it would save him about $2,000 a vehicle. So that means the consumer then saves $2,000 a vehicle. You would take your vehicle for service to the dealer. But, you know, Jim Farley's realizing, just like Elon Musk showed, you don't really don't need a dealer to sell a car. Yeah, but you know, and and Adam's way on this because I know you know a, a prominent, you know a couple of prominent dealers. But the reality is there are franchise laws and there are franchise agreements and franchise contracts. Right. So Ford is contractually obligated to sell through dealers. Tesla is not, and uh, Hyundai presumably is too. So how are they getting around? I, I think limits. Hyundai's getting around it. Uh, well, I think they're probably not. You probably you probably ordered on your phone and it goes through a dealership, through a franchise dealership near near you is what I'm thinking. I don't know for sure. I would think that's the way that works. Of course, Tesla, you know, goes straight from manufacturer to distribution point to consumer. So they so they 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 do cut out the dealer step completely. And Steve is right. You know, people have contractual ob obligations in order to even score a franchise. You know, if you want a franchise, you want a Porsche point or, you know, a, a, a high traffic car in a low traffic area, you know, you you get it, but you have to pay up for it. And they, they look at your projected sales. You know, Farley is, I'm sure he's right. I'm sure they put the numbers on that for the $2,000 savings per, but, you know, some of these small towns would just go out of business. I mean, there's a lot of people who are employed by the dealership. A lot of, a lot of livelihoods uh, depend on dealerships. Of course, the whole UAW, um, you know, all they work worry about is you know who's making them. Well, somebody's got to sell them eventually. And if you cut out the dealer body, you cut out a whole whole lot of people. Uh, back in the dark ages, when I was um, working at a dealership, the gross on um, uh, the new cars was about eighteen to twenty-two percent markup. Now, Porsche would make that look like a joke because they're probably getting twenty-eight maybe even 30% now. And a salesperson back in those days, just call it 20%, they would get 20% of the gross. So you'd get 20% markup, the salesperson get 20% of what he or she sold it for. Meaning uh, there, there were, I knew several six figure automobile salespeople back in the day. It was unbelievable. Uh, and, you know, they would, they would end up spending it, you know, it would be a a fancy suit and a fancy watch and fancy shoes. And they were always on the edge, but they could make a pretty good living. Well, now you're looking at razor thin margins. You're looking at maybe double digit margins on, on a good day. And the salesperson is usually getting a flat fee per car and it is painfully low. So hey, mark, my, mark my words here. You know, the, we had a recent, um, a directive in the court system about real estate agents and commissions in this country. Right. Yep. The NADA, it's this is coming their way. Okay. This whole idea that you've cornered the market franchise, your lobbyists have cornered in. And basically it's not a free market system anymore that this is the automotive industry is about to undercome an abrupt change. And this Teslafication I talk about, this would happen the real estate agents and their commission fixed everybody gets six that's going to change these franchise laws are going to change because this next generation with the instant gratification like we all have we get the phone you know you get it amazon is here tomorrow what, exactly what you want the car i want this here's how much i'm going to pay it's going to be tomorrow because i don't have to go to my deal i can get anywhere i want it i think the dealers are going to have to find a way how do they stay relevant in this new marketplace and i think it's going to end up being kind of like a pole star you go into pole star they got three vehicles in there and then you go home and you order what you want um but they're, well, they're just there for you to see the product not to actually buy the product from them and that salesman doesn't get a direct commission from you yeah it, it makes sense i mean honestly do you really need a real estate agent when you can go on zillow you get a video tour Yes, of the of the place you get it inspected. You know exactly what it looks like. It's been inspected by somebody. You don't have to ever see it 
because you've seen it. And, you know, you get the drone footage, stuff like that. And the same thing with Amazon. You click on it, you buy it, it shows up at your house. You don't like it, you send it back. Why not bring that to cars? And, of course, that's your whole point about Teslification. So, all right, all right we've got to all move right. on. But, um, Adam, uh, tell big, us. Big, big win for Hyundai on that. Big win. Yes. Yeah, they're the first. They won't be the last. Yeah. Uh, but, Adams, this Ferrari, holy smokes. I'll let you say the number. But big number, famous car. Tell us about it. Well, a Ferrari GTO, you know, I mean, anybody who wants to look up uh, the definition of, of there it is, of, of automotive beauty right there, rolling sculpture, front engine V12 car, Colombo V12 uh, in that car, one of the first uh, after the Lampredi design went away. 39 of these cars made, and you're just looking at, you know, just just a, a masterpiece of, of automotive history. And they are known, you know, they are like a known quantity Um there are not many left floating around in the world. They rarely have ever come up at auction. They're mostly privately sold. So when somebody sees one coming up uh, publicly, if you don't know the people who know the people who know the people who may have one, know the person who may have one, you're pretty much relegated to the auction world. This one brought $52 million, 51.7 uh, plus fees, if any. And I say if any, because uh, RM Sotheby's has not only been around 300 years for being dumb, uh, they're incredibly shrewd uh, at how to get eyeballs and traffic and viewership. And they may have waived uh, the seller fee on this and a good com component of the buyer fee just because of the traffic and the the, the, nose and, uh, the, the news and the notoriety of this car. So that, that one brought, you know, uh, a little under its estimate, if you can believe that, the estimate being at $60 million. And typically, as 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 uh, we were just talking about the buyer and the seller fee among real estate people uh, being shaved and or going away, and it's estimated that'll cut cut fees about about thirty percent overall. The fees on live auctions, ladies and gentlemen, is generally ten percent seller, ten percent buyer. Yes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wow. Total of twenty percent. Wow, that's 20, ridiculous. I, I agree. I agree completely. I have been on the 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 paying side of both, and it just seems egregious, and it kind of is. And in the light of uh, bring a trailer at Al, uh, those are probably coming down and being shaved and trimmed and negotiated and only being paid one way instead of both ways. Uh, it is, it's, it's obscene. And if you figure 20, 20% would be a cool 10 million bucks. Hey, Adams, uh, yes. we've, Stefan and I've talked about this car in the past and I want to get your take because uh, I say 52 million seems light because uh, the, the, the weather tech guy bought one about five years ago for 70 million private sale. And that's, uh, that was reported. I don't know for sure. That's what it was, but that was a reported figure. This seems a little low as these cars are turning from cars into sculpture, into art. This seems cheap. Well, and, and you know, it may be. And, and, it, and at, the, at the, the moment of the hammer falling, so much of that is predicated by its race history, how many times it's changed hands, uh, who owned it. Was it someone prominent or was it a few unknowns that passed it back and forth? There have been one or two of these with sketchy serial numbers uh, that have sort of been been flagrantly and or secretly sort of um, uh, cast aside in their historical provenance. Uh, this one has a very, very, very clean history, about as pristine as you'd want, but not much of a race history. Interestingly enough, the, uh, the GTO didn't really have a great race history. They're just phenomenal looking, phenomenal sounding wonderfully rare, beautifully sculpted cars. Um, this one had been owned since uh, 1985. Is that, yeah. Steve-O, you had mentioned that to me. Uh, and it, and the gentleman paid $500,000 in 1985. Wow. That. <laughs> That's a pretty good investment. <laughs> yeah, one would think, you know, I can't calculate the return, but, you know, look, so, so it's not just if, if you had done that in the stock market, which uh, in the stock market, it would have turned into about six point one million dollars. If you had done it in the stock market to, to, to get fifty two million dollars back off your five hundred thousand dollar investment, you would be considered some sort of investing savant. But this guy also got to say, I have one of the thirty nine GTOs ever made. Mm. 
So he got yeah, a so little. Yeah, several cool. The 62 GTO that um, listeners look it up when you get home. If you don't know what this car is, this car is so cool that this is Ralph Lauren has one. And if anybody understands design, it's Ralph Lauren. This is, he's got a Bugatti Atlantic. He's got an F1. He's got a Jaguar. He had his car collection at the Boston Museum of Art. They consider his collection so noteworthy. Um, and then Steve-O, our favorite guitarist and probably yours, Adam as well, Nick Mason of Pink Dr- Floyd. Drummer. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Drummer. Drummer. I know you I, know that. I'm, I'm thinking Gilmore. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. Nick Mason, the drummer of Pink Floyd, owns one of these cars. And yeah, tell us the story about that. That's a, that's a great story, Steve-O. He uh, used money from Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, he's always been a car guy. He grew up with a car guy. And in 1977, three years after Dark or four years after Dark Side of the Moon uh, sold crazy numbers, he bought a GTO because he always wanted one. And he paid a crazy number for it. And everyone criticized him. They said, you're crazy. That, it's a used, it's a 10-year-old used Ferrari. You can get a new Ferrari for 30000 He paid 64000 for it. Everyone said he's crazy. And I heard, I saw him interviewed recently. And he said, that's the nature of this car. It doesn't matter when you buy it. People say you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he, uh, br- br- brother Nick, and if if he could play two notes on a guitar, he'd be my favorite guitarist. <laughs> yeah. He's just, he, cars. <laughs> he's just a great car dude. But um, he's an amazing car dude. He turned down $30 million in 2013 for the car. Oh. He didn't need the money to make his mortgage, but um, I mean, you know, I, if I own one of these, honestly, if I own a '62 GTO, this would be such a prized collection that of a part of my collection. I wouldn't sell it. I don't care. It would, you know, unless I needed the cash. I was some. I needed some form of therapy or something. I don't know. But this is this car is so prized. Maybe owning it and driving it, the the love would wear off. But I would. I would build a damn house around this thing and I just would sit on my couch and look at it every day. This car is just to me is automotive sculpture. Sculpture is, is the most beautiful two-door coupe ever, ever designed. Yep. I, 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 I agree with that. And, and, and if you, if you think about, about the automotive uh, makers who sort of like jumped ship from whoever they'd been employed by, you know, such as Iso, Piero Revolta, uh, Alejandro de Tomaso, um, who is the, the, the gentleman, um, um, Reisner, Frank Reisner, who did the uh, Intermechanica Italia. Those guys would sort of pop off on their own every now and then. Well, the guy who popped off from this was none other than Giotto Bizzarini. And if you wonder why Bizzarini is worth about a million bucks, it's largely because he designed that car. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I honestly would not want to own one. And the reason is the cost of insuring it and securing it, uh, it must be so incredibly expensive. Uh, you have to have security because, you know, no one's going to steal this car and resell it. But what they're going to do is they're going to steal it and get a ransom. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's yeah. This, the security and the insurance cost. I don't. I have no idea how much it costs to insure this car, but it's crazy. Because again, this is it's like if you have a Picasso or a Rembrandt, the security costs. Are and insurance costs are gigantic, and yeah, on the one hand, it's all, it's guaranteed to go up over time. On the other hand, those carrying costs are substantial. Yeah, yeah. And one thing, you know, the the, the Picasso does not hold fuel nor batteries, so I, I, <laughs> you know, it comes with a little premium just because it's a bit of a, I don't know, a, a, a vulnerable piece of art. Yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's. I think the guy who sold it, you know, bought it for $500,000, sold it for 50 million. He made a good investment and probably 20 years, it'll be worth 200 million. Um, amazing. So, Hey, uh, a little news and I'm going to make a little bit of a rant guys and get your take because I'm a little pissed off about this. Uh, the good news is the UAW strike is over. Uh, wages are going to go up about 20% for frontline workers. These guys work in a factory guys and women work in a factory it's hard work. They're getting a raise. Fine. I have absolutely no problem. But as a result, fallout of this, one of the Detroit three had quite a reaction. And it was Stellantis. They said because of that increased cost, plus the increased cost of BED, BEV developments, electric car 
uh, development costs. They are have they had to cut their salaried workforce. This is where I get pissed off. They hatcheted, axed, whatever fucking word you want to use, half of their North American salaried workers. Translation, this European company, Chrysler used to be American. This European company took all those jobs back to Europe. GM didn't cut it. Maybe they cut a few salary workers, but very few. Ford, same thing. And in 2009, when Chrysler went bankrupt, they were essentially given to Fiat. And they became Fiat Chrysler. And then that morphed into Stellantis. Peugeot and Citroën bought them and Opel. And now there's this big uh, conglomerate. And here's why I'm pissed off. They should have, and they were told in 2009, merge Chrysler with GM. And if they had done this, they would have a, they would have had GM with, with Jeep and Dodge and Ram. They would have made it all work. They would have saved, I think, a lot of jobs. Certainly, they would have saved jobs compared with what just happened, this bloodbath by Solangis. I am pissed off that they didn't merge with GM back in 2009 when it was talked about and should have been done. And here we are. Wow, you know, did you say like six thousand four hundred ish? Is that what sixty four hundred salary workers were let go? Half of their North American workforce. That that that's unbelievable. And I think I I don't disagree that you know if they'd had they should have taken the opportunity to do that. But you wonder how deeply steeped the uh, the competition. You know, the whole sort of prideful ego driven competition of of Walter P. Chrysler competing with, you know, uh, Louis Chevrolet back in the day and Henry Ford. Is it just because they didn't want to cave in to GM? We don't know, but it certainly. Well, they, they were, GM was not coming at this from a, a position of strength. They were also bankrupt. So Ford could have come in, but Ford didn't have enough cash and, and they didn't want to take on any more debt. They already had a lot of debt, so they really couldn't do it. But GM coming out of the same type of bankruptcy could have done it. But again, because they were bankrupt, uh, they also didn't have a, a position of strength. I, I don't know how Fiat had a position of strength, but somehow uh, the the genius, uh, I would say evil genius, Sergio Marchionne, made the deal uh, with the Obama administration, got Chrysler for essentially for free. They had to take on all their debt and all their obligations, but they got it essentially for free. And then they spun off later. But look, here we are. Here we are. It's a foreign co- company. Yeah, it just, uh, there's my little rant. Um, I think a lot of jobs would have been saved. And well, you know, G- GM would be in a better position too. They would be. And there would have been some sort of uh, uh, benefits with the scale, I, I would imagine, over trying to run a separate company. But, you know, a lot of these these costs and, and you know, the people trying to make ends meet or whatever they talk about with the, with the uh the line workers increasing their uh, pay 20% over that many years, it's going to increase the car price. I mean, just guarantee that. So the UAW gets a win. All right. Yeah. They, they stood up for the little man. They stood up for the common person. They stood up for the blue collar worker. However, the blue collar worker still has to buy cars and trucks at the end of the day. Um, CEOs typically don't take pay cuts. Investors and companies uh, typically walk when the stock prices go down. It, will impact their bottom line. Therefore, car prices are going up unless, you know, here's a third parter. We go to the Teslafication side of getting rid of the middle. And there you go. Yeah. So uh, I think that's going to cut their costs too. So yeah, Stefan, well, we're going to talk more about Teslafication with time, Stefan. But now uh, let's talk trauma surgeon safety. All right, let's talk safety. How about this picture? So <laughs> so for you listeners, I just brought up a picture of a truck that has what's called the Carolina Squat. And it actually originated in California. This is where the truck is jacked up in the front and the rear end. Is I'm just low. looking at the ball sack you stuck on there. Well, yeah, exactly. So this, <laughs> so anything, so listeners, anything I don't like, I show a picture and I, I attach a ball sack, a nut sack that you see hanging on the back of trucks. I'll, I'll adorn vehicles with that to show my disgust. But so the this is actually originated. So you've seen these trucks driving around and SUVs, Suburbans that are jacked up way in the front. Um, and they're lowered in the back. It's actually called the Cali Squat, and it comes from big truck and the off-road racing series. Where some for some reason in Baja vehicles, this is 
advantageous, but this is absolutely lethal on our streets and highways. Three states have made this illegal, North Carolina, South Carolina, and now Virginia. Um, I saw one of these in Alabama, but the reason I bring up the Carolina squat is this kind of brought me this whole safety. Um, Insurance Institute for Highway Safety came out with an, a recent report, and what they're looking at is is vehicles and frontal surface area and height of drivers and um, lack of vision out the front and rear. So we know that vehicles have all gotten bigger, safer, and heavier in the last 10, 15 years. They just to keep meeting all the safety standards, you know, you'll find that the door that you used to be rubbing shoulders with now is six inches away from your shoulder. And the reason for that is safety for, to meet the side impacts. Well, this is all fine and great unless you have a vehicle mismatch, which is called vehicle aggressivity, where, you know, you don't want to be hit by a Carolina squat if you're in a Honda Fit, okay? Two Honda Fits versus each other is a fair match. But a Toyota Camry versus a Suburban is not a fair match. And a Suburban versus the Antichrist on four wheels, the <laughs> Hummer 10,000 pounds, that's not a fair match. Okay. Well, think about this. If you're a pedocyclist, and no, Steve-O, that's not the, the guy driving the car that you know, want to give you candy <laughs> um, when you're in your story. So a pedocyclist is the word for pedestrians and cyclist um, combined. And I would throw in the pedocyclist category also people in wheelchairs. So you think about now in urban settings, how do the vehicles interact with pedocyclists? So you can imagine, would you rather be hit if you're crossing the street and the guy doesn't see that the light's uh, red and he blows through it? And you get, would you rather get hit by a Honda Accord where you can roll across the hood, up off the windshield, or would you rather get hit by a Suburban that is 42 inches high at the front and it's basically like taking a battering ram and striking your full frontal force so that um, instant amount of energy is transferred to you. So the um, IIHS took a look at this. And what they found is that as vehicles have changed, yes, they're becoming taller, they're becoming more upright, and they're showing a larger frontal surface. And in the last 30 years, U.S. passenger vehicles are typically four inches wider. They're 10 inches longer, eight inches taller, and about 1,000 pounds heavier on average. And so for your listeners, you know, you think about this. I want you, if you own a Suburban or you own a pickup truck, and what you want to do is sit in your pickup truck or your Suburban and then have somebody walk towards you. And you'll, you'll, and you'll be able to see them. But then have get one of the kids to walk towards you. You're going to find a point where they disappear because you can't see past the very front of your hood. And that's why we've seen a lot of increase in pedestrian deaths. Um, and they actually found that the likelihood of fatality with these new taller vehicles is 45% greater for pedestrians than those wow. that have hoods 30 inches less. I mean, that's a big deal. Wow. Um, so it has to do with the angle of the hood as well as the front of the hood. And you can just think about it. It becomes a battering ram. And, you know, um, so do the driveway test. And you can imagine in one of these vehicles with the Carolina squat, they're not going to see anything 12 to 14 feet in front of them. Okay. There's just no way. So, um, yeah, if you drive a Suburban, it, and it, it is really impressive when you, even when I get in my F-150, the amount that I lose in front of me vision that I'm not seeing, I can't see anything basically on the ground about 10 to 12 feet in front of me. And it's just a matter of, it's pure geometry. So, um, you know, we all knew this was going to be the truth with the way that the SUV crossovers, all these taller vehicles, the frontal the front, um, the front of these vehicles change. We knew this data was going to support this, but now we actually have the study from IHS that shows that yes, these larger vehicles are forty-five percent more lethal to pe pedestrians and pedicyclists. Um, so the take-home point is, if you drive one of these, go home and just have your, you know, borrow your neighbor's could or, or take a box and just kind of see where, get an idea of where you realize that all of a sudden. You have no idea what's in front of you because you can't see that. 
So, I mean, you're saying 45% more lethal. You're not just talking about injuries. You're talking about death nearly again. Um, yes. Stefan, why were, the, why were they outlawed in those states? Is it because of the inability to see a certain number of feet? I mean, was that like, like the reason they, they, they hung them with being outlawed? Well, imagine this. We actually had some politicians that did their damn job. Okay. okay. Think about it. That's I mean, rare. no, think about it. You know, <laughs> that statement. I am shocked. Yes. So these things are, I mean, think about it. If you see one of these things, they're, it's a, it's just a, it's a, it's a, they don't belong on the roads. It's not, it's a modification of vehicle that is, in my mind, is this is, you know, this is how aggravated homicide. If you change one of your vehicles like this, um, you're going to lose in a court of law. I mean, this, there is nothing safe about this. It de it makes the vehicle unsafe. It, um, you can't see where you're going. And then if you do strike somebody, all the safety features that have been designed into vehicles just are gone. So it's you know, aggravated homicide. Couple of points being made there, and I know Steve, you want you want to weigh in because you were you were up on new car design, but you you're saying it's a thousand pounds heavier. You know, we've we've harped on the EVs of the world. That doesn't even include an EV, which are actually about three thousand two hundred pounds heavier. Exactly, and and I, I look at that vehicle. If you want to go back to that visual, you don't need to, but if, if if you can pull it back up, and you would imagine that this is an average sized person taking this photo. Look how little the windshield looks so the visibility slit yes normally a windshield is just hardly even visible and these people are at uh at, at the front three quarter uh if they took that same photo walking in front of it i don't think you could see any glass at all and the the other thing that i think is it may be worth mentioning i don't know how much it weighed into these these being outlawed outlawed is the aerodynamics uh, when they're going down the road at 60, 70 miles an hour, how much less steering ability and ability to change directions do they have? Because now the era, they're like an inverse spoiler. They're actually in, introducing lift. And yeah. introducing lift is what an aircraft wants to enjoy on a runway, but not an automobile going 80 down the interstate. You know, so right. I talked about, I talked about, I'm sorry, Steve, go ahead. I was just going to say, I uh, I think Stefan's description and summary is so good. I have nothing to add about that. Uh, although the, the picture of that truck does remind me of a line from Corey Farley, who was an Auto Week columnist. And he said, uh, sometimes you have an example where somebody spends more than the car is worth on the car just to make it worth even less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But going yeah. back, you know, I talked about doing the driveway test. So I do want to tell um, one other thing to listeners. If you're if you are purchasing a new SUV, a new crossover and pretty much any new vehicle, there's a lot of advanced driver assistance systems you can choose from. Um, but one I would definitely say automatically get is it's typically wrapped into some form of autonomous driving. But a lot of companies call it pedestrian detection, mm. which is usually part of a pre-collision assist with automatic emergency braking so this is the same they typically tied in the same system that if the car stops in front of you and you're looking at your phone your car's going to come to a stop automatically so you don't get a rear collision. and they typically tie that into pedestrian as well as cyclist so if a pedestrian walks out in front of you and you don't hit the brakes the car will automatically hit the brakes so i think this is especially important to to purchase this technology in suvs but if I had the option in a regular passenger vehicle, this is something I would get hands down. Because how many times has your wife or your passenger said, hit the brakes because you weren't paying, you almost rear-ended somebody? I mean, that's one of the most common collisions you can see in traffic that, and Lord knows, you don't want to hit the front of one of these cars with all the bumpers and the LIDAR. It just becomes outrageously expensive to repair anything anymore. Yeah, well, thanks for that. That was awesome. And uh, we're going to move on to our collector car segment. So, Stefan, uh, what, what are we buying now? So, you know, we went, we started with a 30,000 and we went, I don't know. So I went from a Sunbeam Tiger to a Mustang. And so now, man, we really hit the jackpot. We got kind of fired up when we saw this 62 GT go for millions that we'll never see. 
But uh, we decided now that we're going to raise the bar and we've got $100,000, but we've traded up and we've sold our vehicle. So really, it's just about a 30 grand jump, 35 grand jump to where we work is we purchased wisely, sold wisely. So um, now we're making that big $100,000 leap where this is probably more realistically where you're going to be when you're, uh, your kids are grown and gone to college um, and or you don't have any of your kids living at home anymore. So we got the hundred thousand. So who wants to go first on this one? No one. Adams to go first. All right, uh, Adams go first. All right, this is oh. always great. I always love your picks, Adams. Well, I just say, but this is just a fun question. I think it's a it's a question you know that most every car person sort of plays in their mind sometimes. What would I every buy? day? I'm on bring a trailer doing this. <laughs> so, spending theoretical dollars. Well, our guy has done pretty good. Uh, to, to get up to this figure. And there was a, there was a time in the not too distant past that a hundred thousand dollars was like, they spent a hundred thousand dollars on a car. Well, now it's relatively commonplace to hear of hundred thousand dollar cars. It's, well, what's the new, what's the new Escalade cost, Steve? Uh, over a hundred. Uh, there you go. In, unless you get a totally strip, but it's over a hundred. Stefan, you can get a pickup for a hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah. A, a half ton. My my XLT Ford XLT 150 with cloth interior is sixty five thousand dollars today. I wow. paid thirty for mine. Sixty five grand for a pickup with cloth interior. And that's not a collector car, but we have we have, we got a collector car here. So let's let's hear it because this is more fun than a new car. Yes. <laughs> well, if 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 I if I'm looking because I'm a cheapskate, if I'm looking at a, an investment side, and I was mentioning to Steve earlier on the call that my wife would not have put up with me sort of trading in and out of cars for, for the last 38-ish years, 39 years, um, if I'd lost on every one. I'm not saying that I go into it with the mindset that I have to make, but a break-even or a win is really the only way I'm going to be able to sustain this. So I kind of have that mentality going in, and I've had many losses. I mean, we, we, we could spend several podcasts on the ones I've lost money on. However, uh, going in with that mindset, if I had a hundred grand to spend on a collector car, I would end up buying two BMW i8s. What? <laughs> what? What? Whoa! I, that is a future win. We are looking. Yes, at. you're you're right. It's it's one of our dark horse picks. It is a win-win. It is truly a win. I think I think I think the styling is going to to catch up with people's taste. They are a little weird, and we don't need to go into that because that, that's not my real pick. I'm going to play more in the no. spirit of. But I do believe that that is a win in the future. So I would drive the wheels off one of them, and I the <laughs> at like I don't know eight thousand or seven thousand miles. I would mothball that thing, and it would pay for both of them eventually. But my real life, real life pick before you before you move on. I I I think you're right, but I think one of the reasons this car was held back when it was new, and I think this will hold it back ultimately a little bit in the future. It's futuristic. It has scissor doors. It is beautiful. And it's obviously a sports car, but it's a hybrid. And the engine part of it, the internal combustion part is a mini three-cylinder engine. Ugh. I know, Steve. And, you know, I don't disagree with that because I, just to even tell people, oh, I have a three-cylinder engine yeah. just makes me want to put a bullet in this car. But I think that will become less of an, a negative impact in the future, I feel like there'll be, yeah. there'll, you know, I, I think the, the age of the gearhead who really cared about that type of spec is going to be aging out. I hate to say, I think that even the current lust for six speed uh, manual transmissions is going to age out. And I believe the inverse uh, investment return will apply. Just like the 57 Chevy, it'll be gone one day. Who cares? Yeah. I have Gone. to, I, I agree. Goner. So, in light of that, and it would it would be, it would be fun to own one of these. If if I was going to spend a hundred grand on one car, can't believe I'm saying this. There it is, the lovely, the beautiful Porsche nine nine three, which was the last of the air cool cars. Uh, that's a European car with European wheels that we never got over here. I didn't even notice that when I picked that photo. But made from ninety five to ninety eight, it's got the wonderful horizontally opposed. Uh, 3.6 with 282 horsepower, naturally aspirated in this car. Uh, I would pick an unusual color. This particular one is turquoise. Uh, this is Dude, got that is a gorgeous. Oh, that's a really God. beautiful color, man. I, I like that color. 
and you know, and that's just a C too. And 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 for those of you out there who go, no, you got to have an S, you got to have an S. Yeah, well, the S's are now well up over the, our our theoretical price range. In addition, the S's of this era offered zero additional horsepower. So a what? Normal- Wait a minute, you pay this typical Porsche, you pay more for less or the same. It's it's the same exact motor, same exact everything. However, the S has uh, 2.2 inches, I think, of total extra width in the rear, plus the front and rear fascia are better looking. I'll concede that. It's got side skirts, and it has turbo brakes and suspension. So you do get some hardware frills for your S, but Lordy, you're going to pay 30, 40 grand more for that, probably 30 grand more for that. So at this price point, I would pick the normal C2. If I had any money left over, I would get the uh, the turbo wheels, the 18-inch wheels, which really make it stand out because the 17-inch C2 wheels are just not that good looking. And you can even put the uh, the, the, the turbo uh, front end, the C2S front end on it for just a, you know maybe $1,000 and a little bit more painted. And that's where I'd go with my hundred grand, and I would have a reliable car that's modern enough to keep up with fast traffic, fun enough because it's going to have the uh, the, the G50. Uh, that, that's the get drag uh, uh, um, transmission manual. Trans- thank you. The six speed, <laughs> that word just left me. The, the six speed. And it's just going to be the last of an era. And it's a very reliable car. It's a very approachable car. The first thing I do is drop the motor, get everything sealed on it because it's going to drip on your dang driveway and just get it sealed, plug it back in and enjoy my car. Hey, great pick. And I tell that the listeners, you ought to look at this. Um, this is what do tell the listeners again what color this is. It is a fabulous, fabulous blue. This is what they just called turquoise in the day. Right. Steve, you may know if it had a more exotic name. But that's all I could find for it. I've never seen that color before. Uh, I, at some point, am going to get an air-cooled uh, 911. I've got a, a, a new one that's a daily driver, 992 two and a half years old. Uh, that's just my driver and I love it. But as a car to drive on the weekends, someday I'm going to have an air cooled. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's going to be, um, we'll see. It'll be some kind of air cooled. This was the best. This was the last, it was the best. It's a beautiful Tony Hatter design. And uh, I just think it's so good looking. Great choice. Well, uh, and right. Last point before we move on. I mean, people would say, hey, wait a minute. Didn't you just get a car? And yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of showed my hand on that. However, I will just go ahead and admit to the listeners and the viewers, this is the car I was mostly looking for. I probably spent 85% of my time looking at 993s. And it just so happened that the blue car behind me came up and it was, you know, very. Tell tell us I can't see that car, what what, what car you got behind you. A, uh, a Ferrari 360 uh, in Nart blue, not terribly different from this, not as much green in it, uh, but a six-speed. So the, the fact that it's a, a, a Modena six-speed makes it, you know, a little bit more attractive to me. But honestly, if the right 993 had showed up even a day before, that's what would be behind me right now. I'd have to, yeah, I'd. If I had to pick between the Ferrari and the 993, it'd be 993 all day long. Now, you don't have to get insulting about it. <laughs> well, you know, we'll see how long that we'll see how long that Ferrari lasts behind you if it lasts longer than the S2000. You, um, you picked the S2000s uh, over, over and under. Yes. Day. <laughs> yeah. All right, Steve, you're up. What you got for us? So I had a 240Z and then I had a. Um, Barracuda Resto mod. So I felt like I had an original Japanese car that harkened back to my childhood. And then I had a Resto mod Barracuda that I could drive. You know, you get an original Cuda. Uh, those are valuable cars. You don't want to drive them too much. So I got the, the Resto mod and I, I I wanted something different. So this is different. <laughs> this is a uh, 21 made that qualification pretty clearly yeah 21 a 21 window 1966 volkswagen bus but this is a resto mod uh i thought of the word scotch uh scotch it's got a scotch more power this has an 8.3 liter cadillac v8 so it's got a scotch <laughs> scotch more power <laughs> but it's ninety nine thousand dollars. buy it now oh there so, it is 
So yeah. what th- this engine, so basically, it's two seats up front with an engine in the right. back. Yes, so, business up front, party in the back. Yeah. This is this is. Oh my you, god! You will win every cars and coffee. You will get all kinds of attention, and it looks cool. I've always liked the Volkswagen bus, but this one, I don't like it. I love it. Oh, <laughs> I dude, like that. How did you even find this thing? Oh my god. This is I was fabulous. searching for I searched for 1966 Volkswagen bus because that's what I wanted. And I thought I'd get something like a, an Andrew Clark <laughs> mobile where it's got like a Porsche engine or, a, you know, more power needs more power. Uh, I did not anticipate this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's crazy. And, 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 uh, and, and listeners, if you're not looking at this, it is. I actually read the description. It's six inches wider than the norm. So imagine that somebody has to. <laughs> well, just at the rear. Oh, oh, only at the rear. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, I thought they 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 zippered the whole thing, but the six inches are made up in these wonderful looking side flank air intakes, which that 500 cubic inch motor sorely needs. And it's widened in the rear and it just looks absolutely outstanding. That it it has the, the identical profile to a loaf of bread. <laughs> it's got you'll be smiling the entire time you're driving it yeah dude Sco- this is like Sco- the greatest pick ever man <laughs> a scotch a more power so there you oh, go all right uh, and listeners this is awesome two-tone paint uh it's red on the bottom black on top where the windows are just perfect this this that thing is just way cool i, well, I thought i had a cool pick but steve you you took it there there's nothing right, so, I don't love. So what's what's yours, Stefan? All right. So here's my pick. Um, of course, this, a Cobra. So, you know, the, in, in our car collection, I haven't had a Cobra yet. And I already made the mistake of owning a 427 SC Cobra. So listeners, that's a 1965 Cobra gumball rally. The side pipes on the, you know, coming out the side of the car that burn your legs, burn your passenger's legs, burn everybody's legs that get in and out. And, you know, some people may call this a penile extension of a vehicle, which I can kind of understand. But this car, this car came up and, um, you know, we had our buddy uh, Bobby Crumpley on the show. He had the highest selling ERA uh, that sold on ear, um, 427 sold for 110 a couple of months ago. This is a twin Paxton supercharged ERA. So this is a Cobra that's got a big block which is called an fe in the ford world um that has been stroked to 454 cubic inches and has two era correct period correct so this is the same superchargers you could get back in the day it's got two superchargers on this motor and they they estimated a conservative 650 670 horsepower in a car that weighs 2400 pounds wow um and I'm going to roll up the picture here of the engine. And it, this engine is absolutely just gorgeous. What's crazy is um, I think it kind of defines the market where we, we are now in the Cobra that when people are buying a Cobra replica, they're just buying a Cobra. They just want the look. They'll put a small block in it. They don't care. They'll put a, they'll put a, a new brand new crate motor. They don't care, but, I think for those of us over 50, maybe even 55, and we're looking at Cobras, you want to be period correct, but you it's okay to modernize it a little bit. Um, but, you know, the replicas are replicas. There's a shit ton of them out there. But this thing, this is going to be the talk of any Cobra replicas that get together. When you man up in this thing, everybody's going to close their hood and they're going to tuck it back in and they're going to be embarrassed because this is this is just a bad ass cobra and i cannot believe that it sold for ninety two thousand on era two days ago i mean uh, yesterday actually yeah i couldn't believe it. it that that i would imagine and i'm just throwing this out there steph you probably know exactly that's almost got to be a forty thousand dollar motor so when when you're look so I am currently building an FE rebuilding an FE motor which is listen that's a so that's a 1965 to 1970 era motor that you rebuild 
and there weren't a, the FEs were not real popular like the Chevys big blocks and the Chevy small blocks. So parts were more expensive, and everybody typically puts new internals in it. Um, they so you turn it to a stroker. I mean, I'm I'm putting an eight stack, which is eight individual carburetors that are fuel injected in my car. That's a big expense, but the rebuild of a stock FE. I mean, like just to make it look good, period, correct. I mean, your entry price is about 30K. Wow. I mean, 25 to 30K just on the motor. Well, I was way light on that. This, oh, yeah. This motor here, I would tell you that this is with those packs and superchargers. Now, this was built by Cobra Automotive. I mean, this is like having your car, the engine built by like one of the gurus, the gods of of ford fe fandom i mean this has got to be a sixty five thousand dollar motor and you can't even uh, step into you can't even step into an era without a motor for right now probably less than fifty thousand without even a motor or paint job okay so i mean in my mind this all day long this all day long was a probably about a hundred thirty thousand dollar car and it sold for 92 wow and I talked to Bobby um, Crumpley, we've had on the show before, and and yeah, he said he he basically said he he could he could not reach down and find a pair to ever list a car and bring a trailer without a reserve. And yeah. Yeah. and this this car was listed no reserve, which I was like, dude. And about twenty five to thirty percent of cars right now on bring a trailer aren't making reserve. That has they, really in the past. Uh probably six, eight, 10 months that has really accelerated the number of cars not meeting it. But wow, there you go. There, there's, there's the payoff of a no reserve right there. Yeah. And the, the, the dude the market, stole this car. The market is softening for new cars and it's softening for used cars and it's softening for collector cars. Yeah. This is, um, it's a, this is, I wouldn't say to anybody buy a car now, but I would say, um, six months 12 months i think it's going to be a great time to buy a car uh it's just yeah. it's really moving don't you think adams uh i absolutely do I, mean, I, I i would be concerned about financing a new car now because I, I feel like you'll be upside down as soon as you pull out of the driveway but possibly buying a collector car now if you have the cash and do not need to borrow i think it's probably a, a decent time to do that there's some opportunities out there for sure case in point that one and by the way um I'd like to repick mine. <laughs> What's that your pick? I mean, I, I didn't realize 500 horsepower minimum was the entry fee. I yeah. feel like pickling of the group only picking a, a, a 993. Those well, what I honestly, uh, I assumed that what you wanted to do is take your 993 and put an eight liter Cadillac V8 into it. Isn't, isn't that what you wanted to do? Why not? You took the <laughs> right out of my head. <laughs> All right. Well, we are out of time so uh that was fun and uh happy thanksgiving but uh stefan close us out hey like listen subscribe hit that bell tell your friends about us leave comments send us an email and uh, have a fabulous thanksgiving and we'll see you guys next week